0: You can go ahead and find the book of Ephesians. I'm going to read out of Ephesians chapter 6 here in just a moment. You might also want to go back to the Old Testament and begin to find 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to be reading from there as well. We started last Sunday on a teaching series, sermon series that we entitled How to Face the Enemy and Win Every Time. You don't have to be a loser. In fact, losing is really uh, an indicator that somehow we don't have all the information we needed, we don't have all the revelation we should be getting, we aren't implementing all that we know to do, because the Bible clearly tells us that there is a place of overcoming triumph, victory, conquering, that comes through knowing Jesus Christ. And so these next few weeks, I want to spend some time talking about that. For some of you, I'm sure it will be a review, but as I mentioned, sometimes we know what to do and we just don't do it. And so you need to be reminded what you need to be doing. For others, you may never have heard some of what I'll be sharing, and so uh, it can be a whole new arena in your life to hear what God can do in you and through you in order to provide for you um, a victory In your Christian walk I'm not I'm not taking away challenges listen to me now that doesn't mean you aren't going to face challenges doesn't mean there won't be trials it doesn't mean the temptation goes away it doesn't mean the giants don't show up and start barking out all kinds of things in order to get you to drop what you know to do I'm here to tell you the enemy is relentless he doesn't care you may have backed him off one time in your life it doesn't matter he'll regroup and come at you again I'd love to be able to tell you that will be, that will be different, but he just he just is a relentless enemy. Hear this: the reason the enemy does that is because he walks in a deception. Deception means that you actually believe the lie you've been espousing. You know, it's one thing to lie and know you're lying; it's another thing to lie and believe it. That's what deception is. Deception is when you've lied so much you actually have joined that universe. And so the, the universe of the lie becomes your universe, and therefore you believe what you're saying, even though what you're saying isn't true. The enemy to this day believes that he can conquer over God himself. He believes that to this very day. You would think, as as smart as the enemy must be, with all of his schemes and tactics and other other deceptions, that he would get a hold of this one, but he is clueless. Clueless to the max. I mean, he is deceived, and that's why he keeps coming back after you. It's because he believes if he keeps coming after you, he will eventually take you out, and he will eventually take even God himself out. Now, God God cannot be deceived. Unfortunately, you and I can be if we drop our guard. So we're endeavoring to sow some things into you so that you won't do that. And that you'll win every time. And last week, we endeavored to just sow into you the revelation that, yes, you can win. Can you say amen? Amen. Can you say I am am." a winner? (laughs) We can do like Jesse Jackson used to do. I am. Come on. I am somebody. You really are. Not in and of yourself, but in him. You're somebody. And you're a winner. And uh, we want you to start from that position. Yes, you can win. Yes, you can prevail. No, you don't have to trip. No, you don't have to succumb. No, you don't have to backpedal. No, you don't have to surrender. No, you don't have to retreat. Yes, you can press forward into the promises of God. And we're going to give you another hint this morning. It's our second lesson in the series, and I've called it Dressing for Success. Dressing for Success. When... I was in college and studying for the ministry, and when Trace and I first met, in fact, she would be the first one to run up here and testify that it is so, I was fashion dysfunctional. Now, now she knows because she was there. Now, I know for many of you, that's beyond anything you would have ever thought about me. Oh, not you, Pastor. How could you have been fashion dysfunctional? Well, it's because I've lived with with the fashion queen for 25 years now, and and she took me under her wing and groomed me in fashion, and told me what needed to go with this and what needed to go with that, and you're not going to walk out of the house looking like that, are you? And and all those other types of things that happened through the years to where I pretty much, pretty much, now there are times I still maybe don't get it, but, but I'm getting better. But I can assure you when I was 18, 19, 20 years old, that I had absolutely no sense with regards to fashion. And in fact, uh, she will tell you that, that usually I was of one of two extremes. She, I knew enough that if I was going to a church somewhere to speak or teach or hold a meeting, you know, I I knew at least how to put a suit somewhat together and wear the right shoes and put it together in such a way that you at least look presentable. But aside from going to church on a Sunday, aside from that, I was a wreck. I mean, an absolute wreck. And I won't even get into it. I'll save that for a message she will bring sometime to tell you all those stories. But she had to work with me. She had to help me see certain things. I knew nothing about fashion, grew up in a house that could have cared less about fashion, And uh, I just didn't know how to dress right or appropriately for everything that I might be walking into. Now, it's interesting that today you can go to the, the upper cable channels usually, and they have TV shows, they have cable TV shows that they will get people, sometimes they'll actually almost kidnap them, and there's shows like How Do I Look? Or there's another show that's entitled What Not to Wear? And, and these people that you don't know will come to your home, and they'll get in your closet, and they'll start throwing things out, and and they'll take you to a designer, uh, you know, fashion shop, and they'll begin to put clothes on you in order that you can get up to date, you can get up to speed, you can begin to be fashion savvy, and uh, you know that's important, very very important to some people. In fact, there's classes that you can take, and and politicians do this all the time, politicians and public figures. We'll have fashion consultants that will come and help them uh, put their clothes and suits together in such a way that it will subliminally communicate certain things that they're wanting to communicate to people that they're talking to, whether it be in public or whether it be on the television set. I don't know if you know this. You probably do. You know, dark suit, red tie. It's sort of a, a power image. And a lot of times you'll see politicians. You'll just look across the stage as they're debating, and you'll see everybody, dark suit, red tie. It's because they all have the same fashion consultants, that that's what you're supposed to wear in order to communicate you know, presidential stature or to communicate executive stature. And, and I tell you all this simply to say that, that there are those who believe, and to some extent I think it's true, that your clothing says something about us. I'll never forget the first job I, I, that I needed to get. It was, it was a time when I was getting married. I wanted to continue to go to school. I was going to have to work at night. You've heard me tell the stories about being a custodian at a grade school. And uh, there was one job opening in the school district. And many of the guys that were going through seminary would, would want to get those jobs because you could work at night while you went to school during the day. And so they were, they were very attractive. They had benefits and they paid pretty well. And I can remember hearing about the job opening. And when I got there, I was talking to the assistant superintendent who did the hiring and he looked at he said to me he said i called him and he said yeah you can come over and you can have the interview but i just want you to know that five guys have already interviewed ahead of you and in all likelihood uh, you aren't going to get the job because i think i'm going to pick one of them but i'm happy to talk to you and visit with you and i said well i'll be right over so i went and by that time of course i'd dated been around trace for over a year so So I jumped in, put on a a coat and tie and and a nice pair of slacks and looked pretty good and went over to do this job interview for a custodial position. And did the interview, got done. About 24 hours later, he called me on the phone and he said, I'm going to give you the job. I said, really? I, I, I was sort of expecting a disappointment because I know there were other guys, knew some of them that were interviewing for it. And he said, well, I'll tell you why I hired you. It's because you're the only one that came with a tie on. That was it. He said there was no other thing that, that overqualified you or disqualified you except you came and you respected me enough and what you were doing to put a coat and tie on, and I'm hiring you because you put a coat and tie on. I hope there's some young people that are hearing me right now. So, man, you, can get a, you can get a job by just going to your closet and put a tie on. But, but your clothing can say something about you, whether it be good or whether it be bad. Well, truth of the matter is in the scripture there's spiritual clothing. Spiritual clothing. One portion of scripture it talks about how we wear when we when we meet Jesus and receive him, we put on a robe of righteousness, the scripture says. In another place it says that we we shake off the spirit of heaviness to put on what? The garment of the garment of praise. And so there's spiritual clothing even within the scriptures, to communicate to us that there are certain things we must put on. Now, having said that, when it comes to facing the enemy, you need to understand right now that there are certain clothing you need to have on in order to face him effectively, and we call that the armor of God. The armor of God. Now, let me read to you those passages in Ephesians 6, and then I'm going to jump back to 1 Samuel 17. Ephesians 6 and 10, it says this. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on, everyone say put on. on. All right, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes or the tactics of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Turn back to 1 Samuel. There in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's the account of David and Goliath. And I'll explain to you a little of what is going on here in just a few moments, but let me just read to you these verses as David is preparing to go out and face Goliath. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 38, it says, so Saul clothed David with his armor. And he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail." David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Dressing for success. Now, in these few verses that I've read to you, there are several things that we can learn or be reminded of about what it takes to fight with the enemy. So you might want to get your pencil out, your pen, scratch these down real fast. I won't spend a lot of time on it. But these are several things that come out of just these few verses. Number one, there is a war going on whether you acknowledge it or not. There's a war going on whether you acknowledge it or not. It's interesting because Paul describes our interaction with the enemy and with the forces of evil. Paul Analogizes this as a wrestling match. Now, it's not the WWE kind of wrestling match. It's 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 not this sort of scripted, sort of entertaining, funny kind of a thing. This wrestling match indicates that it's up close, it's personal. How many of you know you can't wrestle with somebody from across the room? I, I mean, you can't wrestle with somebody long distance. I mean, this is an up close, personal, individualized warfare that is taking place, and, and it's actually a wrestling match that's going on. And, and again, I just want to ask you, have you ever felt like you were in a battle? Have you ever felt like you were in a war of some sort, and it, and it really transcended what you saw with your eyes, but you felt like there was something else going on that was far deeper, or there was another level that was taking place beside what was going on in the natural? There are some of you right now, you face battles in your mind. You can be driving down the road and all of a sudden thoughts will flash in your mind and you'll begin to battle over incidents or things that may have happened in your past or things that you're going to face for that day. And all of a sudden this battle begins to rage in your thoughts and in your mind. For others of you, it's in your emotions. You have these emotional battles and you're up and down on a, on a roller coaster all the time. Some days you're feeling pretty good and the world is great and happy and other days... All is lost and you're depressed and you're discouraged. Some of you are facing battles in your marriages, your relationships. You can't even define it anymore as to why you're in this fight or you're in this battle. You've got wars going on in families, in your career. I believe there's wars that go on within governmental structures as well. In fact, Paul says that that there's all sorts of levels and principalities to this warfare. And he's simply saying this. He's saying to the Ephesian church, he's saying... Folks, you got to wake up. There's another level of battle going on that you need to be cognizant of, aware of, and realize it's coming your way whether you like it or not. That the enemy has his crosshairs on some things in your life that he wants to take you out, he wants to steal, he wants to kill, and he wants to destroy, and it will happen unless you rise up and decide you're going to say Stop. Stop. It's more than just your personalities clashing. It's more than just you just don't get along, you don't mesh, you don't gel. I'm not saying these can't be features and factors in all sorts of areas, but sometimes it is the devil. He's in the midst of what is going on, and we need to understand just worrying, wringing our hands, wishing it'd be different, ignoring it isn't going to change a thing. You've got to acknowledge I am in a battle, I understand who my enemy is, and it's time I woke up. That's number one. Number two, your problem is not so much with people, but the spirits who are oppressing people. Now, this is going to really help you because Paul said we battle not with flesh and blood. Believe it or not, your problem is not your spouse. Your problem is not your boss. Your problem is not your coworker. Your problem really isn't that other person that you're going to school with. Your problem really isn't people if you just stop for just a moment. Your problem is whatever spirit is working that is oppressing, manipulating, working through that particular person. They will aggravate you, no doubt. But let me just share this with you. You can't change people. I'll say it again. You cannot change a person. Take it from somebody who has tried to change people. You can't change people. You can tell them the truth, nose to nose, eye to eye, not blink. Be confident and sure, and you're convinced they heard it, and they still won't change. So you can't change people. All you can do, really, is to contend with the spirit that is oppressing that particular person. We battle way too much with flesh and blood. We're convinced that if we battle with flesh and blood, we'll see change take place. That is why, really, we're unsuccessful, and most of the time, disappointed. You won't win unless you identify the realm you're battling in. You've got to understand that the enemy is oppressing and working through people. It's not the people themselves. Now, hear me, if they do something illegal, immoral, are there repercussions to that? Certainly. Is there justice to certain things? Absolutely. But understand this, that the mass murderer or the serial killer in its most egregious example that is out there, that does what he does, is not doing it just because he didn't get proper toilet training. He's doing it because there's an evil that's lurking in him that's got to be addressed. And you can lock them up for years, and all that evil will do is grow. You can't lock a person up and just suddenly think they're delivered. So we've got to understand, people aren't really the issue. It's the spirit that's working behind people. Many of you don't know this because I took care of it before you came in this morning. But last night, I don't know if you've noticed on our building here that they've got we've got some new painting going on in our building. I guess there's a gang or somebody's running around town sort of putting their mark on everything, and I'm noticing things getting graffitied all over the building. So when I drove up this morning, I noticed that the windows right next to us had been graffitied pretty extensively. I was grateful to see that the windows in the front of the church had not been graffitied. I came around to the side, though, and that back glass door was just graffitied head to toe. And so this morning, I got my razor blade, and about 7.45, and I was started scraping the window. The whole time I'm scraping the window, I'm going, if I could just get a hold of that kid. I'll tell you what, I'd, I'll pray for him. <laughs> I'll lay hands on him. And that's what was generating inside of me at that particular moment. But then it dawned on me, just something dawned on me just that quick as I was beginning to think about what we were talking about today. You know, it's, 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 it's really not the kid as much as it is the spirit that's oppressing the kid that would make him enter into that kind of rebellion. And truth of the matter is, if he's going to run around two, three o'clock in the morning, I ain't never going to catch him because I ain't getting up at two and three to run after some kid, paint buildings. But you've got to understand that that's the enemy. And can I just share this with you? This is what the Lord said. As soon as I got done, this is what the Lord said to me. Because I noticed there wasn't a single piece of graffiti. I don't even know what that stuff means. But the Lord said this to me. He said, you know what? You have prayed and, and, and you set up a fortress on the front, but watch your back door. Watch your back door. And so, you see, there's more to this than just a coincidental graffiti artist coming by what's going on. Your problem's not with people, but spirits oppressing them. Number three, the kingdom of darkness is set up militarily. The kingdom of darkness is set up militarily. Satan cannot be everywhere at once. I'll say that again. Satan cannot be everywhere at once. He's not God. He's a fallen angel. Therefore, he can't be as the Lord is. The Lord can be here. He can be across town. He can be on the other side of the world. He can be anywhere and everywhere at the same time. That's the Lord. But Satan cannot be everywhere at once. He's a single, finite, limited entity. Powerful, sure. Fallen angel, yes. But he can't be everywhere at once. So what he's done is he has set up his hierarchy with all the other fallen angels in a military or hierarchical fashion in order that they might begin to uh, implement his evil plan in the earth and in people's lives. It's a lot like what we're seeing with regards to terrorism. Terrorism today is a natural illustration with what happens in the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of evil. Osama bin Laden can't be everywhere at once. He's somewhere in the hills of Pakistan or Afghanistan doing whatever he does up in those mountainous regions. But he has these lieutenants and uh, these captains and other people overseeing certain cells, terror cells and things like that. And of course, he gives the orders and things are put into motion and all of a sudden, evil is, is wreaked out on the earth. That's how Satan does things. That's a template. That is an earthly template of how the domain of darkness works. And so understand right now, probably few of us, if any of us, actually face Satan himself. Most of us are facing somebody within his hierarchy that's doing their best to oppress, to thwart, to steal, to kill, to destroy, because it's set up militarily. Number four, this is now when we get to good news. We have spiritual armor. We have spiritual armor from the Lord. Now, in 2 Corinthians, let me read this real quick. Chapter 10 Verse 3, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3, it says this. It says, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Now, I understand it feels better sometimes if you could just slap somebody, right? Square up the side of the head. if If I could just, I'd feel so much better. I understand. There's some people that are worth a slap or two. But he says, though we walk in the flesh, and though you might feel better doing that, we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or fleshly, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. I tell you what, the Lord also just quickened in me with that word carnal. You can't, you can't release somebody, fight, fight a, a, a spiritual battle with somebody if you're going to be carnal. Anytime you function in carnality, you're immediately thwarting what God could do spiritually in your life. He says, my weapons are not through your carnal activity. He says, they're purely spiritual, mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. So the Lord has made provision for both your defense against the enemy as well as your offense in order to go forward in your life and even into the kingdom of darkness and into his domain. You weren't meant to break even in life. You weren't meant just to hopefully hold the fort and keep things from overcoming you. You were meant, yes, to have a defense from all the fiery darts of the enemy. But at the same time, God has given you a sword to begin to move through and go forward and press forward and begin to take the land or get in your destiny that he has for you. Amen. Too many Christians are just, they're holding their forts. Oh, God, how bad the world's gotten so bad. Oh, and, 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 and that's, we whine. The winos are no longer on skid row. We've become the winos because we whine in all the time. Oh, God, the world's so bad. Everything's falling apart. And we're just trying to hold the fort. You know, sometimes, you know, the best defense is a great offense. And you need to press forward. We have spiritual armor to do that. Number five, it is a complete wardrobe. The whole armor of God. You can't go to battle half dress. In fact, uh, we will mention in some later lessons some of this armament. So I'm not going to get into all the armament this morning. But I want you to know that He has given a full wardrobe for us to be able to go into our battles. It comes together as a set, it's an ensemble. You've got to get the shoes with the breastplate. You've got to make sure you've got the whole thing because if you don't, then you're going to have an opening for an attack from the enemy. If you have everything on, let's say, let's say you decided to put everything on except the shield of faith. You come up to me and say, well, pastor, I've got all my armor on, And I'm walking in all my armor, but that faith stuff, I don't even know if I believe that faith stuff. I mean, I hear that stuff preached, and half those people are crazy, and I just don't know. I don't know. And so you haven't picked up your shield of faith. Well, get ready, because all the fiery darts of the enemy are going to come right for your breastplate. See what I'm saying? We've got to take the whole counsel of God. Your breastplate works with your shield. Your shield works with your sword. Your... Sword works with your helmet. Your helmet works with your feet. I mean, I mean, everything has a connection one to the other. So you've got to put on the complete wardrobe. Don't go out. Don't go out of the house like I used to and not be dressed right. Some of you right now, you don't. Really, you are spiritually naked right now. I mean, you're just spiritually. You know, they tell me there's a difference between naked and naked. Naked is just when you don't have anything on. Naked is when you're up to something and you don't have anything on. That's what I'm told. I just want to get you back with me here for just a minute. Got to get your wardrobe on. It's a complete wardrobe. Number six, you must cooperate with God to demonstrate the power of this armor. You've got to cooperate. Now... I know God's sovereign and you do too. In fact, most of us just sort of trip along life believing in a sovereign God and thinking somehow or another because God's sovereign, I don't have any responsibility and he's going to take care of me. And, and if something goes wrong, then we blame him because he's sovereign and he should have stopped it because why would God allow this to happen to me if he loves me? He cares about me. And that's how most of us have developed our doctrine. He's sovereign. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not responsible for anything. So if something bad happens, it's his fault. We had word the other day of a of a, a young minister who had a great tragedy happen in his life. And uh, actually, it was the loss of a child. And uh, he's tossed it all in. Doesn't want doesn't to preach, doesn't want to teach, doesn't want to do the work of the ministry anymore. And I understand it's a tragedy, it's a difficulty. I've, I've watched a baby, I've lost a baby as well through a miscarriage. So I understand the dynamics of what takes place at that particular regard. But listen to me right now. You can't all of a sudden face the tragedy and say, where was God? Well, you know, I don't know, and I may not be able to answer it, and I'm not the one called to evaluate every little detail of someone's life and how tragedy works in it, but this much I do know. I have a responsibility to step in, put on, take up, get with it, and cooperate with what God wants to do through me and in the earth. You just can't show up for the battle and stand there. You got to show up for the battle dressed and ready to go. You must cooperate. In fact, it literally says here you must put on to be able to stand. Put on to be able to stand. Literally, if I translated that, it would be for power to show up, you must be willing to put on. Power will never show up in your life if you do not put on. Satan will not be stopped. His cohorts will not be stopped unless you decide you're ready to stop him. You must be ready to stop him. Some people, I know, and nothing wrong with this, so I'm not, there's nothing wrong with this. People get up every morning. I know some of you might do this. And every morning, as they're doing their devotional time, they will literally put on the armor of God. They'll literally say, I put on the helmet of salvation. I put on the breastplate of righteousness. I take up the shield of faith. I carry the sword of the spirit. I mean, they will literally, in their prayer time, say all of those things. And all of that is is great. It is wonderful. And if that helps you stay focused, I would never take that away from you. There's no problem with that. But let me just share this with you. Whether or not you do that every morning, and it might be good to do it, truth of the matter is, as long as your fellowship with the Lord stays intact, that armor is always available. You must be aware of its availability. And when you're sensing a war coming your direction, you must be prepared and ready to use the armor that is there. Now, if your fellowship with the Lord is not intact, if right now you are alienated from God, if you're in rebellion, if you're in disobedience, if you're deciding to walk against what you know to do is right, don't be surprised if you go to battle and there's some holes in the armor. Because that is open ground. Disobedience is always legal right for the enemy, to slide his way into our lives so we must in as much as it is possible to make sure we're up to date our fellowship is good cooperating with god in order to demonstrate the power of that armor and then number seven the armor specifically works on the enemy's schemes or as my version says here the wiles of the enemy he's wily he's a wily wily enemy he's got schemes now I've already mentioned this, I'll mention it again. The armor doesn't stop the enemy's activity. I wish I I could do or give you something that would just suddenly put a force field around you that you would never have to contend with the devil ever again. I wish I could do that. I wish I had something I could say in that regard, but that'll never happen. It will not stop his activity, but rather what the armor does is it stops its influence... It's influence to begin to manipulate or begin to lead you or or to put you on a road or to put you in a scheme that gets you detoured or gets you off a cliff. You can't kill the devil, but you can begin to break some of his influence that's going on in your life. That word scheme in the Greek literally means mind games. Mind games. Primarily, can I just share this? Primarily, the enemy works on us through what we would call in the 21st century mind games, he he sows in fears, doubts, he uh, sows in speculations. We develop scenarios that haven't even come to pass yet. We we begin to do things in our in our mind that that he torments us with and makes us believe jealousies. You know, jealousy may or You know, may not have a a foundation, but what jealousy is, is it's in your mind that something's going on that's not right. And he begins to work all of these different things, envies and covetousnesses and all these things. He works some of these thoughts into our mind in order that if he can begin to get those things riveted, cemented in, we will make decisions based on that lie that is going on in our mind. See, all he has to do is throw a thought to you. The Bible says this. It's amazing how biblical the devil is. The Bible says, as a man thinks, so is he. That's scripture. As a man thinks, so is he. Now now let's take take the positive side of this. If you think you're victorious, then what are you? If you think you're an overcomer, what are you? If you think you will prevail, what will you do? Because as a man thinks, so is he. However, if he thinks a lie, what are you? Yeah, you'll function out of a lie. If you think the speculation, you will act out of the... Because as a man thinks, so is he. See, the enemy, the, the enemy is more scriptural than a lot of us. So you've got to begin to understand that that's his way of, of messing with your life. That's his way of beginning to direct you and guide you and lure you and draw you. His way is always, I'm going I'm to throw thoughts at them. And let them begin to deal with those thoughts and watch how that begins to maneuver them to ultimately their destruction. And he's been good at it. I mean, thousands of years watching us, thousands of years seeing how we respond to different things. The enemy doesn't have to change from generation to generation to generation. I mean, is it not amazing he just keeps doing the same thing over and over and over again and people keep stumbling into it? I mean, how many people, how many people have to die from drugs and alcohol abuse? How many people have to die from this stuff before we all wake up and say, that stuff will kill you? But how many of you know, you'll probably meet somebody in the next month that's got an addiction problem and you'll look at them and say, this is going to kill you and they'll go, no, it won't, I can handle it. You're just stupid you just stupid. But people stupid because it's work. So he just keeps working it that way in our lives. Well, let me give you an example of dressing for success. The most important thing is I can't deal all the time with stupid people. I mean, stupid people, they sit at home and they just fry their brains on the television set and, you know, they're, they, they're doing their thing. All right. Now, we want to reach them. We want to love them. We want to draw them. We want to give solutions and answers. But I can't deal with dumb people. I can deal with smart ones that are here this morning. So you're here today, you smart, do you understand? You're in the top 2% of the smartest people in the world right now because you're in the house of God and you're saying, I wanna know the truth because I want my life to work. I'm not gonna be dumb all my life, praise God. I am gonna brighten up. First Samuel 17, let me show you what David did here and it's really, most of us know the story so you can follow along real quickly, David and Goliath. As you'll recall, the Philistines were constantly the thorn in Israel's flesh. They were constantly the group of people that were doing their best uh, till this day to drive Israel out of their land. Some of you may not know this, but you you know that today Philistine is Palestine. You understand? That's the connection between the two. And to this day, Israel and the Palestinians and the Philistines are to this day still contending over the very same land they were dealing with almost 4,000 years ago. Some things never change. And so here we find one of those incidents with David just being a young boy, just in his teenage years. Samuel had just come through town, had just called out all his brothers to figure out who was going to be the next king over all of Israel. It wasn't his brother, so he looks at Jesse, he says, you know, is, is there anyone else? And Jesse says, well, I have a younger son, he's out watching sheep. Bring him in. So David comes wandering in, Samuel lays his hand, pours oil over David, and begins to declare the word of the Lord over David, that you would be the king over all of Israel. So here's David is, has an anointing. How many of you know, with all of the brothers standing there watching this, that was probably not a real family moment in the brother's heart? I mean, you just know how siblings work. They're all going, who's he? I mean, who is, I mean, we just, we stuck him out with the sheep. It had to have been one of us, because we all looked good. We all looked the part. We all had our act together, and here's David. And that's when the Lord said, don't look at the outside, look at the inside. And so David receives this anointing, and so the story goes on, and the Philistines show up, and apparently they're on two cliffs, or, or two raised areas facing each other. The armies of Israel, the armies of the Philistines, and as it was in those days, as sometimes took place, they would send their champion out to the valley. And their champions would collide, and their champions would fight and meet. And the winner of that particular individual battle, whoever won that battle, uh, would fight really for the whole nation. And it would be declared that that nation would win. The, the winner's champion would receive the, the bounty, they would receive Uh, the other nation, they would be able to take them into captivity just by virtue of one battle or one fight. And so here they are on two separate hills kind of looking at each other. Goliath, we are told, is down in this valley taunting the armies of God, the armies of Israel. The Bible tells us if we are to understand that this man, Goliath, was approaching nine feet as far as his size, the Bible tells us his armor, the armor itself that he wore, was over 150 pounds, the armor that was on his body. The Bible tells us that his spear was like a large beam, and it had a 20-pound head or arrow at the end of that particular spear. He was, he was a man's man, massive as can be. And he's there in the valley with all of this armament, his size, his voice, bellowing out at the armies of Israel to come on down. Somebody, don't you have anybody, to come on down and take me on. And he would taunt and he would curse and he would ridicule the armies of God. And along comes David. His dad, you know, had him stop by Chick-fil-A before he went out to the battle because he had to get his brother's lunch. And so he picks up, you know, all the Chick-fil-A sandwiches and he's going to go out and feed his brothers for lunch. So he's just bebopping it, just this teenage kind of kid. Bebopping it out to the battlefield to feed his brother's lunch. And as he gets to the battlefield, he sees what's going on. The armies of Israel are paralyzed. They're faced with the Philistines. Goliath's in the middle, cursing, taunting, doing all that he was to do to solicit someone to come fight him. And can I just share this with you? I mean, Israel Israel may not have been spiritual, but at that particular moment, they weren't dumb either, because how would you have liked to have fought this nine-foot giant, massive, massive man? And they're all saying to themselves, hey, you know, the army won't even feed us. i got to let my brother come and feed me lunch. Why am I going to go down and kill myself with that guy, you know? So David bebops it in, and he sees this whole scenario. And so he just wanders up to his brothers. I always love If you read the Bible really close, it'll make you chuckle. He's going, what's the deal? Now imagine it's a teenager, the whole army, and he goes, who is this? Uncircumcised Philistine, who taunts the armies of the living God. Can you imagine everybody in the army looking at this teenager, going, "Who are you with the Chick Fil A bags?" I mean, <laughs> I mean, come on, I mean, what are you, do- what are you doing? And, and, and so, and so, David. David recognizes not the size of the enemy, but he recognizes that the enemy is nothing more than a big windbag. His brothers are offended. I, I guess if you're just going to function in the natural, can you imagine all his brothers sitting there going, oh, dear God, David's here. Yep, 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 yep. He got an anointing, and now look what he's doing. Oh. And they're, and they're embarrassed. But David looks at him, and he says, is there not a cause? Is there not something? That we could rise up and fight about. Is this not one of them? And so he begins to implement just these, this, this godly strategy in order to approach this Goliath. And, and let me just share with you just several things real quickly. I'm going to do this again. Practical, some practical application of what we're reading here. Number one is, is that the enemy appears, and I put this in quotation marks, he appears to be massive. You know what? Whenever we start talking about the enemy or something demonic or satanic, it always appears to be so large, so looming in the natural. But here's a little guy like David who ended up having more than enough in order to go into the battle. Don't you be intimidated by the size of your adversary. Don't you look at the size of your adversary and say, ain't no way, no how I'm ever going to make it through this battle. I'll share this with you. However big your adversary is, God is still bigger. God is still larger. That's why it says to magnify the Lord. Don't magnify your adversary. Don't magnify your circumstance. Don't magnify your problem. Magnify the Lord. The reason he looks so big to you is because you got your magnifying glass on it. It's what your focus is on. It's all you see. It's this war. It's this battle. It's this problem. It's all you think about. It's all you, you dwell on. It's all you talk about. It's just, it just consumes every bit of you. So it looks, it looks massive. I'm telling you, it's not massive. You can overcome it because greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. Amen. So it's an appearance not reality it's just an appearance number two all the enemy really has at his disposal is his mind games. Peter would later say as he wrote in first Peter he would say that Satan goes around like everyone say like like a roaring lion it didn't say that Satan was a roaring lion it said that he was like a roaring lion in other words he sounds tough but it's not reality Goliath spewed really tough-sounding threats. But that's all it ended up being, was just words. Just spewed out words. Some of you here today, because of the world we live in, you know, we've we've gone through challenges and difficulties and sometimes some people have to go to court and they get these legal documents and legal briefs and they have to listen to lawyers and all these sorts of things happen. And I've, I've learned this now, and it's taken me a while to learn it, but just because you get a letter... That has on the, on the letterhead a law firm and they throw out all these words at you. That doesn't mean anything. Anybody can write a letter and put a letterhead on it. If you've got Microsoft Publisher, you can write a letter and put all sorts of words on it. It's fear. It's intimidation. It's just words, just words. And you need to realize that that's all the enemy has is is using words in order to produce a mind game in you. Because the people, the armies of Israel, they were defeated. Nobody had even got up and given it a shot. Nobody had even tried. Nobody had done anything. They just all sat around going, oh, he's so big. How can we win? And they they convinced themselves into losing before anybody ever took the battlefield, which is probably why David ended up being able to step up to the plate, because he was at Chick-fil-A when everyone else was listening to Goliath. And he, just, and he just bounces up, and he doesn't have time to listen to what Goliath's spewing out. He just says, what's the deal here? What's the deal? He hadn't been in that environment for as long as the rest of them had been in it. And so he's ready to say, what's the deal? Let's, let's get on with this. Number three, there should be a godly confidence in our covenant with God. A godly confidence in our covenant with God. The nation of Israel saw a giant that was too big to fight, David saw a giant that was too big to miss. Amen. You need to get confident in what your God can do. I'm not talking about arrogance. You spill over into arrogance, and I'll assure you, you'll get your tail hit. But, But a confidence in what God can do. God can work through this. God can move in this. I'm in covenant with my God. That's why he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He just wasn't making a funny statement. What he was saying was, this Philistine is not in covenant with the living God. He doesn't carry a covenant mark. He hasn't entered into obedience. He doesn't walk with our God. Who is this guy? He doesn't even know the Lord, and he's taunting the armies of the living God. Folks, it is time we understood that we battle not with flesh and blood. It is time we understood that we serve a living, powerful, almighty God, and the powers of darkness Even though they shoot their mouth off, who are they? Who are they? Who are they that they would taunt the armies of the living God? Now I'm not saying get in the flesh. I'm not saying that. Again, you gotta go back. But let me tell you something. There's gonna come a day in America when they will tell us we can no longer voice scripturally what it is we stand for. Who are they? Who are they? America. America is not my validation. Any more than any nation would be my validation. The kingdom, my God, I'm in covenant with Him. I'm not in covenant with the Republicans, and I'm not in covenant with the Democrats. I'm in covenant with my Lord Jesus Christ, God Almighty. That's who I'm in covenant with. That's who you better be in covenant with. Because if you're trusting the White House, you're in trouble. But there ought to be godly confidence in God. Now, how did David approach the battle? And I'm done. Three things. One, two, three. Number one, I'm talking about armor. Now, dressing for success. When you begin to dress for success, I think every morning, this would be a good thing to do, whether or not you put on all the armament individually, as some people do. I put these on. You need to remember, though, the victories that you have already won. How many of you have won a victory or two as you serve God? You've got a couple victories, at least under your belt. Okay, listen to me real quickly. When David looked to go and face Goliath, they looked at him and said, Why should you go face Goliath? And he said, This, I'll tell you what, when I was watching sheep, a bear showed up. And I faced the bear and I won. And then when I was watching sheep, a lion showed up. And I faced a lion, beat him too. So I've got a bear and a lion under my belt. I can face this Goliath. I've been trained for this moment, I've been groomed for this very hour. God has designed my life in such a way that now when I face what seems to be massive in everyone else's eyes, it is just the right size for me to begin to face. He had remembered the victories he had already won. Even if you win a small victory, a small battle, keep that under your belt, tuck it away, testify to it in order that you can begin to develop faith for the next battle that's going to come your way, and it will. And even though it may look bigger and it may look larger, it's interesting how that last battle you won will give you the faith to go into the next battle you're facing. Amen. That's why the scripture says that we are taken from faith to faith to faith to faith. I'm just here to tell you there's going to come a day, if you're battling in your finances and you break through, and maybe you got that little $100 bill paid off, and, 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 and it's a victory, Now, it may not look big to anyone else, but to you, it might as well have been a million dollars, but it was a hundred dollars that you owed and God helped you pay that thing off and you trusted him. Stick that under your belt because there may be a day you're going to have to trust him for a thousand or 10,000 or maybe millions, but I guarantee you, you're not going to wake up one morning, not having any victories under your belt and think you're going to take on a Goliath. Don't you think that? We're going to have to begin to remember the victories we've already won. Number two, he refused to dress in another man's armor. He didn't put on Saul's armor. Listen to me right now. He knew what God had used in his life in order to produce victory. He knew as he was out in that sheep field guarding the flock what it is that God used in order to keep the sheep safe. And when he gets to the battle with Goliath, he has everybody giving him advice as to what he needs to be doing. And Saul comes along, and he says, here, take my armor. Take man's armor. And so he puts on Saul's armor. And I can tell you, because Saul was a good-sized guy, that the thing didn't fit. I mean, he probably couldn't move. He probably clanked. He looked like the Tin Man on the Wizard of Oz. I mean, he just, he just, he, it, it, there wasn't any use to it. And then finally, he awakens, and he says, I cannot go with these, for I have not proven them. You can only go with what you've proven. You can only go with where you've been tested and how you've come through and how you've prevailed. You can't trust in someone else's armor. You can't listen to someone else's testimony. You can't listen to someone else's strategy. You've got got to get up in the morning, get your armor on, hear from God, lift your own shield of faith up, and begin to do what you need to do in order to face the Goliath that's in front of you. I can't wear another pastor's armor. i got to wear the armor that God has given to me and shown me. It caused me, I have to get up every morning and I've got to be prepared to go into the battle, to go into the fight, to lift up my own shield, to put on my own helmet, to shod my feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I can't wait for someone else to do it for me. I've got to do it on my own because if Goliath shows up, I'm dead unless I've done that. You are too. So don't put on another's armor. I mean, I'm all for calling people to pray and agree with you, but you got to get up and get in the battle, and you can't dress in another person's armor. you got to get in your own. And number five, I, I put here, he fought with what God had trained him in. He picked up five smooth stones and his sling. That's what he went to the battlefield with. Five smooth stones and a sling. I, I've had people speculate as to why he picked up five stones. I, had, I, I heard one message that said, well, if it didn't work the first time, he had four more shots. But I really don't believe that was the case. Not many people know this, but Goliath actually had four brothers. And I think why he picked up five stones was this. Because this is the mid-eastern mentality. The mid-eastern mentality is you may kill my brother, but you'll have to kill me. Or you may kill my, you know, who I'm in covenant with, but I'm still coming after you. That's why this thing is perpetuated for so long in the Middle East. Nobody will let it go. And I believe he picked up those stones because each one had a name on it. The first one was Goliath, and the next four had his brother's name on it if they wanted to come to the valley. And he slung the sling, hit him between the eyes, and it's interesting, many people don't know the story, but he took the sling, he hit him right square between the eyes, and it dropped the giant. A lot of people stop the story right there, but that's not where the story stops. I don't know if you know this, but he walked up, pulled the sword out of Goliath's sheath, and as he stood there on Goliath, he took his head off. I, I, I bet those four brothers said, see you later. Not, I don't want none of that. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you right now, we don't, we don't battle with flesh and blood. We're not picking up guns and armament and swords naturally. But we're going to have to pick up some spiritual stuff. And we're just going to have to quit knocking stuff down but start taking its head off. Don't war your way to relief. You've got to war your way to victory. You got to get in the hunt. Some of you, the minute you get a little peace, you just relax and you stop. Let me just tell you, you don't war till you're peaceful, you war till you win. Amen. You press through till you see the promise. That was Israel's problem. They would war to a certain point and then they'd get weary and they'd stop and they'd cut a treaty. And the minute they'd cut a treaty, it secured their future that they would yet be in another battle. And I'm telling you here today, spiritually speaking, not in the natural, but spiritually speaking, we don't battle just to see one of our family members one to the Lord, not until my whole family tree's one will I stop battling and then I'll go after your tree. Amen. We aren't just battling for a few streets around the church in order to see people come. We're going to battle till the whole region comes to know the Lord. Amen. See, we're just not battling just so a husband or a wife gets a clue and, and, and they come into the things of God and the things of the Spirit. But I'm going until the whole household begins to come and to worship God and yield to Him. Are you, are you with me? You just don't war your way to get the next little piddly raise so you can just now barely pay the bill that's been sitting on your counter for the last three months? Why don't you war until you finally can put something in the savings account and it can set away for a rainy day and you won't have to worry about that anymore? You, you, are you with me? We've got we've to keep warring. We're just so happy there's peace. Praise God, there's peace. Whew. I mean, I haven't had peace for so long. It's just good to feel it. Well, take a deep breath and keep going on. Don't settle for peace, settle for your destiny. Don't settle, don't settle for just this relief, but go on to your purpose. And if you'll do that, God will walk with you. But it's an every every morning deal, it's an everyday deal, getting up, going to battle, amen? Are you hearing me dress for success? Are you dressing for success? Are you putting on your armor? Are you taking up your shields and your sword? Putting on your helmet, your breastplate? Are are, are you really doing that? Because I'm telling you, if you will, you will succeed. You'll beat the enemy every time. Amen. Stand with me, will you please? Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, whenever we come to this concluding moment, whether it comes out of my mouth, Lord, you know my heart, that I ask the spirit of God himself just to begin to move in our midst and begin to ignite revelation and understanding, knowledge to what has been shared so that your people, Lord, I pray right now because you must do this. Your people must lay hold of the truth which you've given. And I pray right now, Lord, that you would begin to do your work in people's lives right now. I understand there are people here from every conceivable place in the journey. There are people here that have just begun their journey with God, and they're taking it all in. There are some that have, Lord, been with you 20, 30, 40 years, maybe. Lord, I pray right now that no matter where we're at on the journey, that we'd allow the Spirit of God Himself to one more time infuse us with power, open our eyes, cause us to cooperate with you in the battle that we're facing. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to ask this question. Just be honest, because we're going to help you battle this morning. We're going to help you in your challenges this morning. But here today, if you come to the house of God, and I don't, I don't care what anybody else might think, it's it's big to you, it's important to you. You're facing a battle, a war, a challenge. You're convinced that the enemy's got his fingers in here at some level. And maybe you tell it to someone and they just sort of blow it off, but to you, it's significant. Maybe maybe it's not Goliath, but maybe it's your lion or maybe it's your bear. I guarantee you a lion and bear are big if you're watching sheep. It may just be the first... The first battle that you'll have to prevail in in order to get to the greater battle that's on down the road. The battle that will open up the door to incredible influence and destiny and possibility. It's important that we walk as victors. But with every head bowed, every eye closed, because this is just between you and really me, because I'm going to look. But if you're in a battle, a challenge, a war, I don't know how you define it, but right now, you're in it maybe it happened last saturday yesterday maybe you've got one waiting for you on monday but if that's you i just want you to say lord i'm i'm one i'm in a battle right now i, you, I want you to acknowledge it i'm battling some things right now right now thank you you can put your hands down thank you lord thank you lord for everyone that had their hand put up at that that moment i want you right now just to open up your heart right where you are i want the whole congregation to join me here in these last moments i want everyone praying right now i want our voice to come as one we are the army of god so i want all of our voices cut to come into agreement right now with these people that had said yeah i got some challenges i got some challenges and we're going to pray together i'm going to just model it right now but i want everyone to join with me will you and repeat after me by saying Dear Jesus, I know today that you've called me to be victorious. Yes, I can win. You've provided everything necessary for me to be a conqueror. This is not theory, it's not just a story. But this will be reality in my life and in my circumstance. I put on right now the armor of God that I will be able to stand against every scheme that the enemy throws my way. I shall win. I will not be defeated because I'm embracing you. I declare right now, from the very beginning, the end result, I shall win in Jesus' name. Not because of me, but because of you. I stand knowing that that is true. I break in the name of Jesus every speculation and thought, all the mind games. That bring torment I tear them down in the name of Jesus and I declare wholeness and completeness to my thoughts and to my mind I embrace that now let it go to my heart let it invade my feelings change my perspective let me rise up and be the victorious one that you have made me to be in Jesus' name, amen. amen and amen. Give the Lord a hand now. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, you've got to believe that. Now, before, just, I'm, not, I'm not letting you go, but turn to two or three people right now. Now, just stay where you are. Don't, I'm not releasing you yet. But turn to two or three people right now and one more time to say, yes, you can win. Yes, you can win. Yes, you can win. Listen to them. Yes, you can win. Yes, you can win. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. All right, now turn back to me real quick. Turn back to me real quick. Real quick. Real quick. Give me just another, I mean, no more. Two minutes tops. Right now. Right now, if, if, if if there's openings, doors, holes in the armor. If you're alienated from God this morning, and you've walked in rebellion or waywardness or sin. I know those are difficult, tough words. But our problem is we define everything as a mistake. And if all we see it is, as a mistake, then we never, we never enter into repentance. And if we never enter repentance, we can't close the door. And if we can't close the door, then we'll never find victory. I'm not, I'm not giving you a difficult road because I just want to make it hard. I'm giving you this road because this is what God says to do in order to get yourself shaped up in position, right with him, in order that you can win. We're not fooling around. I'm not telling you just what's nice and what you like so you can go out thinking you're a winner, but you can't win. I'm going to tell you what it's going to take to win. i really win. It means repentance. It means turning around, changing your mind, agreeing with the word. But you embrace that. You will win. Yes, you can. The word says that if you'll confess... The Lord before men, he'll confess you before the Father. If you deny him before men, the word says he'll deny you before the Father. And we just give this opportunity. I understand you can walk out of here and tell 10 people and and you can qualify for that verse without having to come forward. But I have found through the years that when you give opportunity at an invitation for people just to slip out and, and make their stand in a congregation, that there's something that can happen that can forever change their life. I know, I know everything inside of you just recoils, but I want to ask you this morning, if you want to win in your relationships, if you want to win in your family, if you want to win at your job and your career, if you want to win in your mind and if you want to win over your emotions, if you want, if you want to start winning, don't you think it's time to try something perhaps that you've never done before and say, you know, I'm, I'm going to give God a shot his way, all out for him. So in these next 60 seconds, with every head bowed again, every eye closed, we're going to pray the prayer that gets you back on track. We're going to pray the prayer that cleanses the heart. We're going to pray the prayer that gets your relationship with God back connected again. We're going to offer a moment for you to get things in order with the Lord himself. And I encourage you right now just to slip out. Just to, I don't care who you came with just slip out I want you just to stand right here with me two have already come I, I, I need to get some things right right now if that's you just come on another one if that's you come on I need to get some things right right now just before I go I want to I put it in order before I go I wish I, I wish I could give everybody the sight and the sense this moment brings because I know the Lord's working if that's you Come on, just don't fight it anymore. Just come right now. I can only give you about another 45 seconds, but it's long enough. Don't wait me out to the last five. Come on, right now. Right now, right now. You know it's the right thing to do. Nobody's going to embarrass you. We'll love you, and we'll appreciate you. Amen. You just come on. Come on. I've only got about 25 seconds. You can wait me out. It it isn't going to hurt me any, but it could make an incredible difference right now in your life right now if you just said yes come on come on 15 seconds 15 in 15 seconds your whole world can change from being a loser and struggle into finally finding some tools for victory how about it how about it how about it I've only got a few I've got to close the door I've got to close it I've got to close it alright I'll close it right now would like to ask those some of Tracy's ladies some of my guys you just come and gather around the folks that are here, and we're going to just pray right now. Again, everybody's going to pray right now. Everybody's going to pray right now. Everybody's going to pray. Amen? Everyone say, Dear Jesus, Thank you for talking to me. And I responded to you because I want my relationship with you to be on target and unencumbered and open and happening. I repent from my past sins, waywardness, and I agree with you, Lord. I'm going to walk with you. Lord, I want to be a victor, a victorious person. And right now I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart that He was raised from the dead. To give me power to prevail in all life circumstances. I receive him and with him comes that power. I'm excited about my future. I'm excited about the changes. It's starting here and now today. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Give the Lord a hand. Praise God. All right, guys, these folks may pray with you here for just a moment. So let them get to know you and pray with you. Congregation, I want you to say it one more time. Repeat after me. Say, yes, I am a winner in Christ Jesus. One more time. Yes, I am a winner in Christ Jesus. Can you say amen one more time? So be it. Amen. Lord, we bless you. We honor you. We receive that again into our spirits. And now I release you, all right, into that world. You will prevail. You may be in the world, but you're not of it. And you will prevail. God bless you. I hope to see you in the middle of the week on Wednesday night. I hope you can come out. If not, we'll see you on the Lord's Day. God bless you. You're released this morning.